Well, good morning, church. My name is uh, Steve Lombardo. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians. That's where we're going to start. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible and go to page 978. Uh, that's where we're going to begin. But before that, we're, we're nearly at the end of our series on the seven deadly sins. And uh, at our Aurora campus, there was a person after the service just this past week that was quoted as saying, I'm really enjoying the seven deadly sins. Um, <laughs> I think we know what they meant, uh, um, but we're, we've been in a series, and, and how have you liked the series? Have, uh, have you experienced, uh, good, um, clapping for the seven deadly sins, so um, have you been convicted of sin? Um, I know that uh, Tim has said, as well as myself, as it's hard to preach uh, on sin, um, because we struggle with sin, and preachers struggle with sin, and, and so have you been convicted of, of that sin? That's a good thing. Or maybe you've been tempted to think more like a Pharisee, and think, boy, a lot of people are struggling with this stuff. I'm not really struggling all that much, and like the Pharisee who would turn and, and, and publicly pray and turn and say, thank you, God, that I'm not like all these other sinners. We don't want that reaction either, do we? We, we ask that God would bring us to a place of repentance in Romans in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 we read that it's God's grace his kindness that would lead us to repentance and so when we feel conviction of sin when we feel that that thing inside of us that is stirring up its holy spirit working on our conscience and that he would then bring us to repentance where we would turn from it that's a great gift of God's kindness to us and so that's what we've been praying, that God would reveal his kindness to us as we look to deal with sin in our life. And so today we're going to be talking about anger, the sin of anger, and to start off we'll be in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. So turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that this morning you would uh, be our teacher. Holy Spirit, that you would um, teach us from your word about the danger of anger. Lord, that we would uh, be a people who are seeking to be like Jesus. And while we see Jesus was angry at times, we know that we will get angry at times. Lord, help us to be angry and do not sin. Show us what that means, Lord, this morning. Convict us of, of the sin of anger so that we might be better equipped to serve you in this world and to live like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Are you a slave to the sin of anger? Be angry and do not sin. We just read that's a possibility to be angry and not to sin. So this morning, here we go right to the outline. If we want to be angry and not sin, we need to, number one, discover the place where anger originates. Let's get a definition of anger going. Anger is an emotional response based on a perceived injustice. Who here has ever been angry? So you've been angry, and uh, something has happened, right? It's a perceived injustice. It's uh, a, a moment, well, let's go to the nursery. It's always easier to talk about other people rather than ourselves. So let's go to the nursery. There's two kids playing with toys. 
One kid's got a toy. The other kid comes up and takes the toy. The, other, the kid that's got it taken it starts to get mad and angry, and he starts to, to cry and maybe yell and to even fight perceived injustice. Now, that same child might have a toy, and the, the nursery worker, it's time to clean up, comes and takes the toy, but that kid still perceives an injustice and has that same type of reaction. Anger, both good and bad, comes about as a perceived as a result of a perceived injustice that is done to, to one. Now there's another kind of anger that happens that um, something has happened and there's not a reaction and a yelling and a crying or a screaming, but there's more of a settled anger. It's when your kid is being bullied at school and nothing seems to be being done about it and uh, there's, a, there's a, a, an anger within you that is settled because there's an injustice that is happening. And that leads us to the second point that God is angry and that anger is rooted in God's perfections. God is a perfect God, perfect and holy, and God is love, but God does experience anger just as we experience anger like Him. We are created in His image. God gets angry. Do you know that? You say, well, let's show me in the Bible. Show me. That's good. We're Village Bible Church, so let's, uh, let's see if it's true that God does get angry. God gets angry at sin. Isaiah chapter 30. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with a sieve of futility. God shows anger toward individuals. Psalm 88. Your fierce wrath has gone over me your terrors have cut me off god expressed anger toward his people israel in the old testament exodus 32 and the lord said to moses i have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them God has anger toward all of the nations because of sin. Ezekiel chapter 25, I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. God experiences anger. This is a settled anger. It's part of his being. It's part of his holiness as it's juxtaposed to sinfulness and to evil and to unrighteousness. Jesus God in the flesh gets angry as well, and we'll see that in a moment. So in order to be angry and, and not sin, we need to, number one, discover the place where sin originates, and then number two, we need to discern the purpose of anger. See, good anger has a purpose. Anger that is toward unrighteousness, godly anger, has a purpose. It is to, number one, seek to stop evil. You get angry because of evil or injustice being done, and you're going to stop it. How many people know what uh, MAD stands for? M-A-D-D. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, That began with a mom because of her daughter who died back in 1980. 13-year-old softball all-star Carrie Leitner was killed on May 3rd in 1980 in Fair Oaks, California. She and a friend were walking to a church carnival and at the same time, a, three-peat, a three-time repeat offender out of jail just two days from a fourth DUI arrest was barreling down the road, and he hit Kari from behind, throwing her out of her shoes 125 feet. 
He then fled the scene, but was later arrested and charged with her death. So this mom got mad. She got angry. There's injustice. There's evil. And because of the work of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, the rates of, of, uh, of homicides, really, with vehicles have drastically been cut down. Seek to stop evil, the purpose of anger. It's also not just to stop evil, it's to, secondly, save the evildoer. We get angry, and in our anger toward injustice, we also remember that it must be directed toward the salvation of the evildoer. This is the heartbeat of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we have something interesting going on. There's evidently some unbelieving men, and there's some believing women. And some of the women, Peter's going to give some instruction to them as to how they can relate to their man. And uh, there's some injustice being done. There's some, maybe some harsh treatment. Uh, there is not uh, an equality with the Lord. And so uh, these women, no doubt, were angry, or they're upset, and they're mad about the situation that they find themselves in. What does Peter say? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Hmm. That's counterintuitive. Don't get mad. Don't yell. Don't make snide remarks. Don't tell your girlfriends how stupid your man is. Rather, let that anger that's it's, it's perceived injustice being done. Maybe he is wrong, but let that anger spur you on to love and good deeds, and by your conduct, you may win him over to Jesus. Maybe you're a, wo- a woman in that, sh- in that place right now, and God would say to you, you're angry. There is injustice being done, but by your love and good deeds, make that anger produce fruit in order to save the evildoer. So the purposes of anger is to stop evil, to save the evildoer, and then thirdly, it's to strengthen our faith. I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 11. I kind of want to live in this passage for a little bit. John chapter 11. Because there's sometimes, when we're angry, we can't do anything about the evil. There's sometimes, when we're angry, we can't save the evildoer. Jesus, in John chapter 11, gets word that his friend Lazarus is ill. We don't have time to go through the whole passage, but Jesus essentially waits until Lazarus dies before he shows up in Bethany. Verse 17, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So Jesus gets there, and everybody's in mourning. Lazarus has died, and uh, Jesus wasn't there in time, and, and Jesus does show up. Verse 28, Mary said, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was 
and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus was a close friend of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He was a a frequent visitor in their home. They had sent word that Lazarus was sick, and yet Jesus didn't come in time. Jesus, if only you had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now there's something about that word, deeply moved. It's not just a simple emotion of being upset. It's, um, it's indignant. It's the, the word is, is literally, can be translated as a war horse um, uh, grunting as it goes into battle, into war. So it's a mixture of emotions. It's anger. It's, uh, it's it, it being indignant. It's, it's being uh, fired up at the situation. And Jesus is deeply moved, okay? He's angry. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. So, so Jesus is angry. He's angry at the situation. He, his, his being feels this anger that you experience, that I experience, but he experiences it perfectly. He experiences it toward the sin in the world, the sin that produces the death that was right in front of him that people were lost and that people even didn't trust and have faith in him. And he sees the evil and he's deeply moved. He's angered deep in his spirit. Now, when we have those emotions, if you were there in Jesus' spot, we can't do anything about that, right? So it's in those moments that that anger should, we need to make it roll up to strengthen our faith in Christ, in God, so that in those times that we don't have the answers, in those times where we don't know what's going on, in those times where we feel deeply moved and there's nothing we can do, it's, it's that we would believe, that we would have faith, that we would put our hope and trust in the God of justice. Being a pastor, you have opportunities um, that are eternal opportunities. Uh, some of them are to be with those who are dying. And, um, and I've, I've been with some people as they've actually died, as they've stepped into the presence of Jesus. Not a lot. Sometimes you're there before. Sometimes you get there just after. But I remember one, one situation where I came into the home and uh, the whole family was there and uh, the grandfather was dying. He wasn't really old for this day and age, but he had had cancer. Cancer had come quickly, and he had went downhill very fast. So even that day, he was talking, earlier in the day, but by the time I got there, um, he was nearing the end. And we had prayed all throughout the time that he was struggling, and his prayer was that the Lord would continue to watch over and protect his family and would save them, and he's prayed for his grandsons. And, and, and so I was there, and, and uh, also the prayer was that it would go quickly, that it wouldn't just linger, and I got to pray with him and his wife right there. And uh, after I said amen, it was about 10 seconds later, and he just stopped breathing. And, uh, 
And I won't forget in the room, um, all the cries in the room with the family, just there's a heaviness to it. There's a, a deep feeling of injustice of death. It hurts. And it's in those times that we put our faith in Jesus because this is who Jesus is. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And a man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. In those times where we don't have the answers, even in the face of the injustice of sin and death, we strengthen our faith because we have our faith and our hope not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ the creator and ruler of all things. So in that time, we don't have the answers and we can't stop the evil or save the evildoer. Strengthen your faith in Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in order to be angry and not to sin, we need to discover the place where anger originates, discern the purpose of anger, and then to dis distinguish between a pair of angers. Okay, there's two ways to look at anger. Anger can be either, number one, definitive. The facts are clear. There is injustice that has been done and been committed. Your anger is a righteous anger. You trust in God to take care of it. There's a definitive type of anger. But then there's a distorted anger. And most of the times, this is the kind of anger that we deal with. This is the type of anger which leads to sin. This is the kind of anger uh, that we sometimes think it's definitive, but we have misconstrued uh, the evidence. We are not perceiving things correctly. In, John cha or in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so many times when we are, are not perceiving things rightly, we have a distorted view of what's going on and we're rising up, our, our anger is rising up within us and we are rising up and, and we think that our anger is going to produce something good and our anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so we must diagnose then if anger is a problem. Number four, we've got to diagnose if anger is a problem. Maybe it is for you as it is for me. Are we sinning in my anger? So number one, am I perceiving things accurately? This is an important question because we tend to get this thing wrong a lot. Our perception may not be reality. I'm so thankful that my parents moved from downstate to just down the road from where we live. And it's great for the kids, great for us, and like being close. And we were over there and and looking through some, found some videos, some old videos. And so I, I, uh, I've told my boys how good I was at baseball in college. And so uh, they th think I was Pete Rose or somebody. But um, so I found the video of a, of a game and uh, popped it in and, and I was pitching. And uh, well, I wasn't that good. <laughs> I, 
I seem to remember throwing the ball a lot harder. I seem to remember even certain circumstances in that game. I had it all fouled up in my mind. So we watch only like 10 seconds of it. I didn't want my boys to see that. (laughs) But we tend to do that a lot. Um, We don't perceive something for what it is. and We remember it wrongly. And you can get angry over something that's not even real. You can be angry with someone who doesn't even know that they've hurt you or they've offended you. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that our perception is, is true. And so how can we know if our perception is right? Well, let me give you just two simple things. First one is Matthew 18. How do we deal with other believers? How do we deal with Christians in the church? How, how should we deal with all people truly? It's Matthew 18. Jesus says first, if someone has offended you, if they sin to you, go to that person. That's the first step. That's the first thing. Go to the person and make it right. Now there are further steps along that process, but as I've said from this pulpit before, I think if we do that first step and we do that well, that takes care of 96% of all the problems that we find ourselves in with other people. So Matthew 18, go to the person. Express why you're angry and see what the true case is. Secondly, ask your friends and and family members uh, about the situation. Maybe they can help you. Ask your small group members. uh, Here's the situation. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I'm feeling. I got some anger here. Tell me if I'm off base. See, God gives us people in the church for relationships and for accountability and for help in the way that we live life and for help as we deal with sin, as we deal with the sin of anger. So is anger a problem? Are we perceiving things accurately? Are we promoting God's righteousness? Are we promoting God's righteousness? Would, would God be angry with what you're angry at? In your anger, are you concerned about stopping evil and, and saving the evildoer? Or is it just a, 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 a quick reaction, a temper flare-up? Third, Are you provoking further anger and fear? Does your anger make people around you afraid? Fourth, are you putting others or yourself in a dangerous situation? That's a problem. That's a sin problem of anger. I read this past week that if something happens to you on the road, you're a victim of a road rage incident, so somebody cuts you off, or somebody honks the horn at you, or somebody raises a certain finger at you, Um, one out of two people will respond in kind. They'll do the same thing back. And that's how road rage is is terrible, because uh, one thing has happened, and then there's a 50% chance that person's going to respond. And we all got to admit we have that feeling, well, maybe not all of us, but I've had that feeling before, when, when something happens on the road, you say, oh, I'm going to run him off the road. I've never thought that, by the way, but I, uh, <laughs> close, uh, close. But that's a problem. The anger that, Dad, that you would have in the home that would make your wife and kids scared of you is a sin. And so what do we do? 
in order to be angry and not to sin, we need to deploy the best response plan when angry. Have a plan to deal with your anger. First, recognize that you're angry. Okay? For some of you, that's not hard. Your face turns red, your blood pressure goes up. Everybody, including yourself, you know that you're angry. So in that moment, take a deep breath. Okay, I'm angry. Um, But after that moment, be honest about your feelings. See, sometimes we as Christians, we like to put on the happy face, right? And, and we, everything's fine. No, 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 it's fine. But yet there's a, there's a deep root of bitterness somewhere down there that, that uh, there's anger towards some person, but just to be the good Christian, you're going to say, no, I'm, it's cool, everything's fine. Recognize that you're angry. And then restrain your immediate response. You might have the answer right away what to, what to do. But restrain yourself. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. And Abel's sacrifice, if you remember, was accepted by God. Cain's was rejected. And Cain gets angry. Remember what anger is? It's an emotional response to a perceived injustice. His perceived injustice was that God rejected his sacrifice. Why would God reject his? And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Restrain your immediate response. Cain, be careful. Your immediate response is to kill your brother, to lash out in anger. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. See, he was angry, but sin was crouching. Sin of anger. And then lastly, the best plan is to resist the devil. And now we end up back where we started in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a very interesting connection between anger here and, and the devil Ephesians 4, 26, Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. When you have anger that's unresolved, when you have anger, whether it be to your spouse or to a family men- member or to somebody in the church, when that is, is, it stays out there, when Matthew 18 doesn't happen, when, when there's that bitterness, the devil's got a place there to grab you. The devil's got a wound to pour salt in. The devil has an open door to do damage to you and to render you incapacitated for kingdom work for the Lord. So deal with your sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Make it right. Make it right. So we want to not sin in our anger. We want to know what it is, discover what it is, the place where it comes from, discern the purpose, distinguish what kind of problem and uh, anger that it is if we're seeing things correctly, and then we want to deploy a plan to deal with it. Now Jesus died for our sin, and he died for our sin of anger. And we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, the resurrection and the life would grant us victory in this area. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for 
your word. And I pray that, Lord, you would help us to be a people who, when we do get angry because there is sin and injustice, that we would not sin, Lord. Forgive us for our sin. We thank you for forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that uh, if someone here is convicted even now of the sin of anger, that they would, in this moment, you would grant them, through your kindness and grace, the gift of repentance, that they would turn from their sin to follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you that whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. We cast our sin on Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for your salvation. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.